Peter's first letter, the first chapter, we'll be looking particularly today at verses 6 to 9, but perhaps if I read it from the top, it will help to put it into context for us. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If I can put it into context, if I can slightly change one of the little words we've learned recently, it's not um, the old country and state side. What about earth side and heaven side? Yes? And we're talking about heaven side, this bit, right? From this side of that great goal. And it's not the Atlantic, is it? There's a world, there's a whole world, a dimension between. But Peter here is talking about heaven's side, earth's side, and how to get on here. But always with heaven's side in view. And I don't know if you noticed how many times in the verses that we just read, there were references to either the second coming or to heaven. He talks in the, the latter part of verse 3 about a living hope. He talks in the first part of verse 4 about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Then in the second half, kept in heaven for you. In the second half of verse 5, talks about the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And going on into verse 7 and the second part, may, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And again in verse 9, for you are receiving the God of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And from earth's side, he's always looking heaven's side. Yes? Never, never out of view. Constantly living in the light of heaven. A, a, a light is being shone across his path that he never gets out of focus. And the, the verses that we looked at at the end last time, after we looked at blessing God, 
walking through this veil of life of these are three score years and however many in an attitude of praise and blessing God and re recognizing his goodness too and uh, the assured prospect and preservation and joy unbounded we, we look together at the whole, whole question of greatly rejoicing remember in this you greatly rejoice it goes on in verse is it verse 8 joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now I wonder whether for some of us that that kind of joy and that degree of rejoicing doesn't quite come naturally. You're sure it's down there somewhere, but how actually to enter into it to find that full expression of, of genuine, spontaneous joy. Not something that you've got to work up over a period of time, but something that is deep and breaking forth from within your spirit. I think part of the answer to that comes in the following verses. What are we to expect in the life in between? Now, I, I believe that God is trying to say something to us. It, it, it could be coincidence. But in the Living Truth session that we did on Thursday night, many of us were here, and there were two verses there in reference to the kingdom, Acts 14.22 and 2 Thessalonians 1.5, which spoke that we would enter the kingdom through much suffering and tribulation. And that persecution would be a part of the kingdom. Isn't that odd? I've never heard a chorus about that. Perhaps someone would like to write one, Mark. There's a job for you. And then on, on Saturday morning, those of the men who were valiant enough to come for breakfast, I have just about made it. Richard was kind enough to get the venue wrong and got me out of bed at 8 o'clock. Confession is good for the soul, but I, I got there. And Mark shared the, the whole question of God's dealing with my life as when the, the refiner of silver in Malachi, yes, he will purify us under the life. And how God deals with our hearts. And he made reference when he was speaking to First Peter, and these are the exact verses that are before us. And I believe that God wants to say something to us. He wants to make sense of our trials. He wants to make suffering understandable. Right? And there are two things which I'd like to frame it in. The first one may take all our time. That suffering refine, refines us. Now, there are a variety of schools of thought and attitudes common in this kind of an area. But if I don't get it clear, what suffering has to do with God. I may plunge myself into a major crisis of faith. If I believe that God really is going to work everything out for me, honky-dory, as smooth as smooth could be, so life is one spiritual Disneyland, that I'm, when I actually come to the, the rough edge, I'm going to be... In a crisis of faith, wondering whether God has let me down, wondering whether God has forsaken me, wondering whether I was ever a Christian at all, the kind of idea and notion that suffering is alien to God's ways and not a part of God's ways can lead me into great, great trouble. And I wonder whether we should go and ask Job something. Job, and they did. Oh, what has happened to you because there's sin in your heart. Have you ever been in sickness or in deep trouble 
And some Job's comforters come to you and say, you know, there must be something you've not repented of. Well, there might be. But to say that that's the, that, that is the only line of reason why I might be suffering is far from the mark. Is it, is it because you're not trusting the Lord, brother? You're not believing hard enough. Well, go and ask Job that. He was believing all right. There's no one else in it. Said, said the Lord in all the earth. A righteous man. <coughs> I wonder whether you, you've been ever said, well, it's Satan. You're at his mercy. Well, actually, again, Job, that all that Satan was allowed to do was what God permitted him to do. And so, someone might say, well, God wouldn't do that to you. God wouldn't allow you to suffer. That, that suffering is all negative. God would never, ever, ever allow you to suffer. Wouldn't he? Well, you see, actually, he does. Trials are a part of his plan for my life. Oh dear. Can I say that again? Adversity, obstacle, oh difficulty, persecution, hostility, harassment, haranguing is part of God's refining process for my life. It isn't a sign of his rejection. It's a sign of his working. It isn't a token that I'm far away from him. It's evidence that I am the clay in the potter's hand. And some of us have got it into our heads and it's, it's just an underlying supposition in our minds that all that goes wrong in my life shows that there's something wrong with my spiritual life. Well, actually, it's true. There's something wrong in my spiritual life and God is using these forces to put it right. Can you see that? That here Peter and in a number of other scriptures, look also in chapter 3 and verse 17, where Peter says, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And again in chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's just the colour that the Lord weaves into the pattern. And whatever adversity you, you pass through, and man, says Proverbs, was born for trouble as the sparks fly upwards. That's an encouraging thought for you. But it's not that things are out of control. It's not that God is handling things right. It's a sign of your sonship. It's evidence that you are his daughter. And he's working on your life. And honing your faith. What a lovely thought. And here Peter goes on to say that God actually values my faith above my pleasure. Now, this might just kind of rub you up the wrong way. But actually, he will deny me my pleasure in order to refine my faith. God would rather that the most important part of me, that that element of trust, is sharpened 
than that I really do go to heaven on beds of ease. That the troubles that you go through are a kind of spiritual multi-gym. You've got, Paul's got one of those. He lets me sit on it every time I go to his house. And you, you do this on it, and you do this on it. You know one of those things? And the process and the circumstances of life which God privileges you with are like a spiritual multi-gym to your soul in order to strengthen your faith. And real faith is only strengthened this way. And Mark was saying on Saturday morning, how when we really go, you know when things go wrong, and you planned it so well, and everything's so nicely lined up, and then suddenly the bottom drops out. Yeah? You know the feeling? And you think, Lord, Lord, rescue me. And the pressure, the, te the, the temperature gets so hot, you say, Lord, turn it down. And here, Peter talks about how that your faith is being purified. And the, the, the raw metal is put in the crucible and the heat is, 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 is put to that, that metal. It melts and all the muck comes to the surface. All the scum and the slime and the alloy. And the refiner of silver takes it off the top. And he was saying how that if, we, if the Lord turned the temperature down and listened to what you were saying, the muck would stay in the silver. And your faith would not be tried. And it wouldn't get strong. And it wouldn't be tempted. And sometimes, you know, I get concerned for Christians who appear to have it easy all the time. And I've met some, and that I wonder whether it's there's a lack of depth or something, but too easy all the time. God if you have to deal with my faith, don't spare the treatment. So that when things do go wrong, rather than saying, has God failed, or have I sinned, or am I not a Christian, or am I out of his will? But maybe, maybe, perhaps a fleeting question in those areas might suffice. But actually suffering is good for me. That faith and trust is actually learned this way. That I must learn to trust in whatever, though the fig tree does not blossom. And there's no fruit on the vine, and the produce of the olive fail, the trees yield no fruit, and the flocks are cut off from the fall, from the store, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. It can happen to a Christian. Do you honestly think that when Stephen was being stoned, and he was seeing Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father, do you think the enemy was winning? Do you think for a minute that he was harbouring a secret sin? Do you think for a split second that there was a lack of faith in his heart that got him into that mess in the first place? Doesn't need answering, does it? God will deal with me. And here, I just, again, feel something that, we, that needs to register. I may not be able to describe it too well, but bear with me. Do you know, God has to deal with my heart. That my ego and my selfishness, my heavenly father has to deal with. Proverbs says that, that the one who, the, the, the one who, the son of the, who, who the father loves, he chastens. He disciplines. He deals with. And my goodness, I thank God 
for the times when he's put me under pressure that my heart might be refined. And in my early days as a Christian, really in, in, in an old-fashioned Methodist tradition, where heart work was important, where a thorough dealing with sin was regularly emphasised. Whatever you might think of certain doctrines that are, that are, that are brought out there, my pastor, Barry Walton, used to minister probably monthly on the whole question of brokenness and how God deals with my heart and about the stubborn will and the proud heart and the life that just has rebellion at its root where ego still reigns and God has to bring adversity to that soul in order to deal with it and change it and transform it to make it as a heart like his. Do you remember when Jacob, having wrestled with God at the brook Jabbok, and he, that, he, that, that, that the Lord touched his leg at the, at the break of day, and from then on he, he walked with a limp, the mark of the fact that he'd wrestled with God and, and God had prevailed. And that there was a mark on his life, that, that, that there was a brokenness, a yieldingness in his spirit that God wants in all of us. And I was thinking a little bit today of some of the difficult, some of the difficult people. Mark was saying, all the women will have to come to the next men's breakfast because it was good. Um, and he was saying about how that so often God will refine us through the people he puts us with. When you think, of the conflict that you've had with your husband, yeah, mothering son, huh? or the difficulties that you've had with Christian. Remembering Christian? Oh, they're great in the world. What about God? Oh, these Christians. Oh, look up your nose. Yeah. What, what was God doing? He was dealing with me. When I think in the ministry, uh, as a result of a lot of it, my stupidity, of the hassle that I've known in the church of God. What was, I, I thought that God was miles away, but he wasn't. And what about Wiccan's building group? And saw the plumbers. God bless their hearts. <laughs> Ripped up my carpet. Drove my wife insane. Fleeced the church. What a lovely life. You know, everything that could have gone wrong on that wretched house has gone wrong. Has God failed? Did the surveyor miss the lintel so I have to be messing about with plumbers and builders and glazers and goodness knows what? Why? What's it for? God is dealing with me. He doesn't want it always to be easy for me. It wouldn't be good for me. I have a little capture, one of those Snoopy captions where Snoopy sat on the top of his kennel looking philosophical saying, Adversity, the water of the soul. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? There's original sin in here. There's pride in here. There's a corrupt heart here that my Heavenly Father constantly has a program of sanctification for. And he will use all manner. What does it say? All uh, a, it's a variegated. It's the word that would be used for flowers. Ver, grief of, of, 
from all kinds of tribes, multivarious, it's the same word that is used later of grace, God's multicolored grace. And as part of his multicolored grace, he has multicolored trials. Isn't that lovely? Because if he hadn't, you'd never grow. And I remember an old man, a chap called Bill Hartley, an old American Pentecostal, amazing fellow. I think he was in his 80s. He could dance like a, like, like a, like a heart on the mountain. And I remember him saying, really wicked guy. But he'd lived long enough to know. He'd been baptised in the Spirit for over 50 years. And he was saying, you know, about the fruit of the Spirit. Where do you think God will give you patience? At the seaside? Where, what kind of circumstance will God bless you with the fruit of long suffering? Hmm? Here? Well, maybe. <laughs> I think you've got my part. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Christian, will you remember this much from this morning? The next time things are difficult and the pressure's on, the next time you're not coping, or you're coming unraveled, or whatever you feel, the next time that person really does hurt you, reject you, abuse you, whatever, the next time that you feel offended, put out, inconvenienced, whatever, it's for your good. It's not because God has rejected you. It's not because you're spiritually inferior. It's not because you're not a Christian after all. It's because you have a heavenly Father who's working on your mind and heart. Take courage. And then, in these last verses, lovely verses really, what else will all this do for me? Well, suffering makes the heart go fonder. You thought it was separation, didn't you? Well, I've changed it. Suffering makes the heart grow fonder. It is a fact that Jesus is more real when our backs are to the wall. Have you read some of those biographies? I think Richard Bumbrand was one of them. Of the, ma of, of the prisoner that loathed to leave his prison cell because Jesus was so real there. I tell you. You learn more of Jesus behind bars than I will ever know. And what of Samuel Rutherford, the Scottish Covenanter? Have you read his letters? Oh, Charles is looking at. Oh, he has. Oh, all right. I'll let you know. But I'm an absolute classic of the grace of God in the midst of difficulties, knowing the Lord's hand in his life. What of Corrie Ten Boom? Oh, I love her books. Do you? Keep it simple, stupid. At great books. Oh, marvellous Christian novels. What do you think it was like in the Nazi concentration camp? Francis Havergal and the Fountain of Hymns. 
And what about William Cowper? God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. That man was harrowed with illness and distraction all his days until he committed suicide at the end of it. I'm not suggesting that that's the best way out of it. But it does stand in very sharp contrast, doesn't it, to certain American prosperity gospels that appear to pander to me and to my ego and to my selfishness and my greed and my materialism as if all that God was interested in that I should have a big car or that my stocks and shares should increase or that my bank balance should go from red to black those are not our goal at all I don't really believe that God is particularly interested whether we're great, rich or poor, large or small, black or white. He wants to deal with our hearts so that we become more like Jesus. That's what he's interested in. And here at the end of it is a a, a typically Peter-like phrase. And I'll finish with it so I don't complicate what the body is saying. Notice that he, he talks about the salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. That you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And Peter uses the word salvation in the same word in three different ways. When I believed in Jesus, and I turned from my sin, and I, I trusted my Saviour, He saved me. Yeah? Did He save you? Do you know what I mean? Right? You, you, you were saved. <coughs> And yet here, I am also being saved. That God is saving me from sin all the time. And uh, the, the, the kind of present element of it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And the phrase that comes before that that may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now the Greek word there is when Jesus Christ is uncovered. Like the the latest model at the motor show, which until that day, and then the rats are taken off. And the word means of someone who is here, but you can't see him. And then on that day, the rats will be taken off. And that's a lovely thing, isn't it? When Jesus is uncovered, un- unveiled. But at the moment, he's here and you just can't see him. He walks with you. And though you can't, it reminds you of Thomas, doesn't it? Right? Blessed are those who have not seen in the upper room and yet have believed. And here, Peter present on that day, though you have not seen him, you love him, but one day you will see him. Though you have believed in him, and are filled with joy unspeakable, and full of glory. And then one day he he talks about the goal of your faith. It is not prosperity here. That's not the goal of my faith. That's not what I'm believing God for. If I get onto that bandwagon, when things go wrong, I'm going to be in gross unbelief, or so I will think. 
The salvation of, the, of my soul is my goal. In that day when I am fully saved for eternity, that's my goal. And, and the Lord Jesus wants me to trust him when things are going right and when things are going wrong. He wants me to hold his hand when it's raining as well as when it's sunshiny. He wants to be my confidence and he wants to be my trust. And here we're in a kind of learning, purging time with that goal in view. So when you're tempted to say, why Lord? What's wrong Lord? Nothing. Why me Lord? Because I love you. It's not fair Lord. I want to live like a king's kid. Yes, you will. But part of living like a king's kid is being changed from the inside to the outside. I had a little song which I was trying to persuade one or two to sing, but I think we're going to get quite as far as that. Are we? You got it? Oh, good. Cool. This is going to sing to you. This is the best bit of the sermon, folks. I can remember at one point, as when I was at college actually in Birmingham, Birmingham, and a friend of mine from South Africa sang a song, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times when I didn't know right from wrong. Yet in every situation, God gives perfect consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. And I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. So let's all sing that and the other verses, I hope. And we'll just close your eyes and just be in the Lord's presence. And take it in.